here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Okay, folks, your two favorite podcasters are coming to you from two different sides of the world today. Whew. This is Dylan DeChair talking to Sean Zock. Welcome to the Drop Zone. Sean, could you tell the good people where you're calling into today's podcast from, please? St. Andrews, Scotland. It is It is basically the other side of the world, eight hours ahead of you, eight hours in the future, which we're going to have to get used to on this podcast. It's going to happen a lot this summer. So we've got a couple big interviews on today's show, Sean. First, we are going to have Rachel Heck, Stanford superstar, national champion, two different types of national champion, which is pretty impressive. Um, later on, I'm going to interview you about what the heck you're doing in Scotland. Uh, and before that, I think we've got a few live-related items to discuss. We're going to live it up. But first, Sean, I want to tell you about our friends at Radmore. We are currently each wearing a nice uh, graphite blue sweatshirt. I'm wearing a hoodie. You're wearing a crew neck. Both available at radmoregolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R golf.com. You know what? They got more than just hoodies there. That's for sure. They've got printed t-shirts. And I want to tell you, Dylan, I wore my printed t-shirt yesterday in Chicago in Lincoln Park to the UPS store because I was sending out some last minute stuff. And the guy behind the desk at the UPS store said, you know, I'm a graphic designer. And whoever designed that really knows what they're doing. Wow. Like, Damn, I'm going to tell people that on the podcast. A UPS, UPS endorsement, also potentially problematic here on a golf <laughs> podcast. But um, Sean, I got to tell you, we had, a, we had an outing at Green Lake Pitch and Putt the other day. Radmore Golf sponsored, bought the whole place out, gave back to the community. Good vibes had by all. Hopefully you'll be there for the next one. Well, hopefully I get invited to the next one. I saw this one come across yeah. on Instagram the day it happened. I was like, damn, I love yeah. for me. You were it's headed cool. in the other direction. You were <laughs> headed east. Um, so that's radmoregolf.com. Use code DROPZONE for 25% off. Sean, the list is out. Surprises? Most of the list is out. Like, you know, there's still 14% that's a, that's of this list point. coming. 42 of the 48 players for Live Golf London were released late Tuesday night. Uh, I was at the JFK airport writing the story about this, talking to you about it the whole time. Uh, the biggest story is Dustin Johnson. Uh, everyone knows that at this point. The DJ stuff is a bad sign for I think what could what could come because <laughs> it felt like if if I was if I was running the PGA tour I would have felt like I had a nice little bear hug on this whole situation I got it under my control if anything squeezes out it's because I let go of it and Dustin Johnson being a surprise addition I guess to this field and looking you know as a guy who actually did pledge his allegiance back in February only 3 months ago there's a lot of people who have pledged their allegiance since then Xander Shoffley, Bryson DeChambeau, like a lot of people did it that day, those few days that DJ did it. But suddenly, like some of these guys are just kind of talking about it a little bit differently. Now that these events are imminent, Ricky Fowler kind of changed his tune a little bit. He was a little more vocal about it. Dustin Johnson changed his tune. Sergio Garcia 
kind of told on himself a couple weeks ago. I could I could see because DJ did this, other people being like, well, if he did it, why can't I? That's that's my big takeaway. So I guess that was my first big question for you actually is does it matter that Dustin Johnson is on this list? It kind of doesn't, <laughs> which is which is a little counterintuitive to what I just said. DJ has not played good golf, essentially like really good golf, DJ level golf in the past year. Yeah. He's maybe done it in little fits and starts here and there, but he's dropped down to number 13 in the world, the lowest he's been ranked in almost like a decade. Uh, so he's in a weird place and he's told me and other people about the fact that he just doesn't want to play golf forever. He doesn't want to play the champions tour. Probably wants to play into his mid forties, buy a really big boat, maybe buy a, a boat <laughs> as big as tigers and sail off into the sunset. So is it that big of a deal? Uh, theoretically to lose him? No. Yeah. Well, I guess here's my, here's my question is this has me all thinking about what Greg Norman said about, you know, it really doesn't matter who plays in these first events. We're going to run them regardless. We're going to stage them. And basically, guys looking on are going to start to feel like they've missed the boat once they see competitors winning three, four million dollars that are just not that good at golf compared to the very top players on the PGA Tour. So that's my curiosity really is whether it matters that there is a big name star in this first list who is, I guess here's the key for me. DJ is both a big star and he's also not someone who I think on his own attracts people to watch golf tournaments. I don't think people necessarily watch the PGA tour because they want to see Dustin Johnson. I mean, not to say that no one does, but he's not driving people like, you know, a Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, yeah. Rory, Spieth, etc. So that's why I'm curious. He like, could does it matter be, if it's DJ? He could easily be the third biggest name in a premier tea time, right? Like he could easily get paired mm -hmm. up these days with John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, and people are going to go watch Rahm and Scheffler before they go watch Dustin Johnson. So no, he's definitely down the list in terms of people where you think like his includement really hurts the tour, but... It's a big mm -hmm. enough name and it's a big enough surprise that there are there are people this week at at Memorial that are like, whoa, okay, DJ. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's a spot for me. There has to be. Yeah. I think there are people. So yeah, let's talk about the evolution of this thing and where it goes next. So now we have the list. We have uh, some surprising names from the PGA Tour. We have... DJ obviously is number one. Louis Oosthuizen's probably the next best golfer on there. There's a few actually just stock and trade PGA Tour players. Taylor Gooch, that's, Matt Jones. That's a surprising one. Hudson Swafford. <laughs> that's um, also surprising. All, all three kind of curious to see on there. So I think that those three are probably just like the the sign of what's to come more than anything else. But first, what are those guys doing on the list? They're just trying to grab some money, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think that that is the perhaps more so than Dustin Johnson being involved. It's those guys that can then really damage the tour because 
those are the guys that are supposed to continue to fill in the spots on the PGA tour. Like they have decent rank on the PGA tour. They get to go into certain events before corn fairy tour players get to go into certain events. Like they fill a specific spot and Taylor Gooch was just kind of coming into his own. Like this guy feels like he's in his prime right now for him to say, you know what? I'm going to risk it all. Mm-hmm. And at the very least get caught up in litigation and also at the very least kind of damage what I thought to be like a pretty solid reputation potentially mm-hmm. like that. That's surprising. I think that has to surprise Jay Monahan. I think if you get five more guys like that, suddenly this field looks completely different. If you get a, if you get five more guys that are in the top 50 in the world, guys like Taylor Gooch, Kevin, Na, guys that can win two times a year on the PGA tour, like Hudson Swafford did that. <laughs> uh, you get guys like that, a rank and file guys. Jay Monahan doesn't hate to see any one of them. Like it doesn't bother him that any one of them gets involved. But if it's four, five, six of them, suddenly that that actually feels like a big of a a bit of a dent. Yeah, it does. And my big feeling here, not to jump too far ahead, is like the PGA Tour's got to do something. Yeah, we've been saying that though, right? Like, I think you and I do something. I think you and I have, we've never been in favor of this league, this league. We've never been in favor of Saudi money taking over the PGA Tour or taking over pro golf at large. I think we've been Mm -hmm. in favor of change though. And if this league acts as a change, like agent, like we've called it a chaos agent, but if it if this league acts as an agent for change on the PGA Tour, and then somehow the PGA Tour becomes better as a result of it, I think that's maybe the maybe the best case scenario um, at this yeah. point. And so you said it a couple of weeks ago, like this is this is going to be back in Jay Monahan's territory. And then he said, mm-hmm. "Look, don't even play that event. If you play that event, you're going to get." Like you're going to run into discipline, disciplinary issues. Um, that was probably the, I don't know if that was the best move you could have made at that time, but it was a move that we didn't expect. So the next thing will be <laughs> the disciplinary issues, like finding out mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson, when you hit one tee shot in London next week, what does that mean? Does it mean that you right. cannot play the FedEx cup? Does it mean you can't play you know, the fall series, does it mean you're just going to get fined a bunch of money that will have been made up for in the appearance fees that you take? Like that's the next, it's not the next chip to fall, but like it is definitely the next biggest one. And it's the one that the PGA tour has control over. Yes. And I think there's a two part thing there. The first thing is significant deterrence to playing. I think the PGA tour has to a say, Hey, you can't come play our tour. But I think they also have to somehow work with the major championships to gatekeep those because, look, these guys, if if you're thinking about going to the live tour and you can still play the majors and you can't play the PGA tour, I don't think that's really a deterrent. That's what's weird is that if they, you know, the most important part of playing the PGA tour as currently constructed is access to those major championships if there's another alternative. So in addition to hardcore sanctions i think for the pga tour to have a successful response they also need to provide something that involves more money i think that that remains the case like i think the 
I think the marquee events on the PGA Tour need mega purse increases. I think they need a, a, a strong counter to this limited event system where it's players could play 15 events and those events would each have purses that look more like the players championship that look more like these live events. I don't know how to conjure money out of thin air, but it feels to me like otherwise they're suddenly going to lose. Well, except maybe go right for for livegolf.com. You don't have to do it out of thin air. Go ahead. You can just go to the premier golf league and say, Hey, all that money, that system yeah, we we will take it on. Now, I, that's not an end all be all fix all kind of thing. I think the scenario that you're drawing up is going to force Jay Monahan and obviously the tour brass to decide: Do we want to be a five hundred one c six forever? Do we want to be a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. forever? There is many many various professional sports leagues that were once. Nonprofit organizations. The NFL was once a nonprofit organization. It is no longer a nonprofit organization. It couldn't feasibly do it. The PGA Tour has not paid nearly the level in taxes that maybe it would have to if it was a for-profit organization. Is it ready to buck up and dive into that new world? Is it being pushed off the diving board into that new world? It might be. Um it's not that you have to create money out of thin air, but you you might be seeing the tour have to to walk down a path and choose a, a position at the fork in the road where like either it's like the lesser of two evils kind of thing. And Jay Monahan doesn't really want to do either. He just kind of wants to go back up the path and push yeah. against the live golf tour. Um, it will be fascinating though. Next week in London, literally the home of the premier golf league. <laughs> is mm-hmm. where they're hosting this live event. Um, yeah. There's going to be six more names involved. Like there will be players that play their way in via this other live sponsored tournament in the international series. It's play- taking place in Newcastle, England this week. Guys are going to play their way in and there might be other names added the rest of this week. Who knows what's going to happen, but it's weird. Phil Mickelson's name was not on the list. That's weird. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's weird. Maybe it's maybe it's the status quo at this point. We'll see about that one, Sean. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a few there's a few spots that they very carefully worded in that release that uh yeah. well, I don't know. I would say I'd say we can wait and see on that one. But let me just outline the vision really quick for you, Sean, because I think there's a lot of bad faith arguments flying around on the internet right now. Um I think it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment and and see what DJ is doing, taking this nine figure deal and say, yeah, no brainer. Everyone would do that. I think it's really easy to say that right now because it's so much money. But I do think regardless of what you think morally of, you know, getting into business with, with the Saudi government, it is still a significant change to be working almost directly for the Saudi government like that. That's a significant thing. And look to go play on YouTube for a few years. I think that there's going to be more strings attached than we're currently aware of yeah. when it comes to that wheelbarrow of cash that Dustin Johnson just got dumped into his bank account today. So I think that there is, there's definitely a world where uh, the money is not all equal 
um, when it comes to, to player preferences on the PGA tour versus the live tour. But at a certain point, if there is still this amount of money flying around, like there's, there's gotta be some sort of sea change where the PGA tour offers a more competitive product. In my opinion, I mean, DJ could make another like 25, $30 million on the course this year. If he plays really well in these live events based on the people he's playing against, <laughs> he wins a handful of those. Yeah. Um, all right. So my vision is essentially just <laughs> Dustin Johnson could maybe beat some of those dudes left hand. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty good left handed and not, not correct, but not he correct. has good left hand. <laughs> all right. So you've got the four majors, Sean, you need like a 13, 14 event schedule. You elevate current PGA tour events. You elevate the majors. You already have the four, uh, majors. You've got the players, um, you've got the, uh, the invitationals. So Genesis, Muirfield village, um, Bay Hill, all great sites. That's eight right there. You get a couple of global ones. You go play in Australia, you play in Japan, you probably do play in Dubai. There's just, there's strong ties with your strategic alliance and the DP world tour. And, and then maybe you play, you know, another event in whether it's in Scotland or London or whatever it is, that's kind of the vision is is having 12 or 14 and then of course you got to throw the waste management in there too actually you got to capitalize on like what is now one of the pga tours crown jewels of its own um and then each one of those events you got to make sure that the biggest prizes in golf have purses that are appropriately big time like even the players they all got to be 20 million at least yeah <laughs> i mean Take some money away from those secondary events. This is unfortunately like the, the well, I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, but this is sort of the logical end point for this. It's like a, a tiering of professional golf. Like the PGA Tour is a Loaded. relatively socialist organization, given the political preferences of uh, many of its members, um, in the sense that everyone's earnings are kind of smoothed out. So a lot of guys are making between one and five million where instead that could really be spread out to where the top guys, a bunch of them are making, you know, $5 million for winning a major championship. Mm -hmm. And then winning the John Deere classic is not going to net you $1.5 million. It's going to get you 500 K and it's going to be more yeah. like a corn fairy tour event. I think the struggle That's there. The vision. Yeah. The vision though, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a little bit of like shrink to grow. And I, I don't think that Jay Monahan gets down with shrinking his business, even if that like solves the problem. I mean, ideally it's not actually shrinking to grow. Ideally it's just growing. You just grow the major events. You bring in franchise owners or you do whatever you have to do to up the, uh, up the money involved. And then, and then you really lean into making those events into festivals because you do have, you have a major advantage in terms of broadcast partners infrastructure people already know what the pga tour is like there are still a lot of built-in advantages you just don't have a reservoir of two billion dollars to to lean on yeah uh, the tricky thing is like if it is sh shrink to grow whether or not it is or not but like the, the tour is is already trying to incorporate some big money purse thing at the end of the year this this yeah. series for the top 50 players in the fedex cup and the mood surrounding that right now is actually not that great. You know, I've talked to a couple of <laughs> different tour agents and they're like, look, if you're yeah. going to get my guy to like guarantee that he's going to be involved in some team event in the fall, like the purse has to be 
bigger, like mega, big time. Um, yep. And I don't, I, I don't know that the tour necessarily has that right this second. So it's tricky. Like every time that you want to make these sweeping changes to the schedule and trying to convince tour brass that like, no, like you need fewer events, like in the minds of some people at the tour, and I don't fault them for this, when they see fewer events, they see literally fewer sponsorship dollars. Not that that would actually be the case, Mm -hmm. but like there's a title sponsor of all these events. So if you get rid of one, where does that money go? That's how, you know, that's how you lose money into thin air. I'm not, yeah, I I don't want to get rid of events though. I, I just want to make the premier events actually feel like the premier events instead of pretending that, you know, Every event is above average. Hmm. Uh, the PGA Tour has 48 fantastic events, and they're all equally fantastic. I just want I want this stratified list of premier events so that golf fans know when they should really be paying attention and when they can just have some background entertainment and tune in on Sunday afternoons. There are times when I don't know when I should be paying attention. Exactly. You the memorial. If you, now the memorial, you should, the memorial is fun to pay attention to. That's the whole point. But it should be, it should be more obvious to you. It should yeah. be. Yeah. Well, hopefully we helped people think a little bit differently about this. And you know, we didn't do a podcast on Sunday night, uh, nor did we do one on Monday. I got yelled at by a couple of friends, like, "Where's your podcast this week?" I even got oh. one guy to email me today. I don't know if the same guy emailed you, but some guy emailed. Uh, he emailed me and he said, love your podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm not going to share his name, but he sent a, he sent, he sent an email to David Winkle, Dustin Johnson's agent, and then forwarded me the email. Um, basically wanted I'm him guessing to guessing sh- he did not get a response. Uh, well, I, I don't know if David responded to him or not. I, I highly doubt it, but um, he just listed out, you know, various reasons why he's extremely upset. And, uh, wow. It's just good to hear that people want to hear from us on this stuff. So hopefully we didn't like muddy the waters too much. It's a complex issue. Definitely. If you are emailing a, a tour agent, definitely CC us on a, <laughs> preferably BCC. I would say we want to know. We don't necessarily want to be implicated. Um, it's thorny, Sean. The more I, the more I hear about it, the messier it seems. I listening to Rory McIlroy was, well, unsurprisingly interesting this morning because he has, from the start, decried the source of the money. Uh, he has stood up for the PGA Tour. Now a bunch of his best buddies are going. His best golf buddies, at least. Like Yeah, his Ryder guys Cup friends. He, he, right? The guys that he shed tears over, you know, not being able to potentially play on another Ryder Cup team with them. Uh, now he's definitely not playing on a Ryder Cup team with them <laughs> because they're all going to play the live tour. You got uh, Poulter, Westwood, Sergio, Graham McDowell, Martin Keimer. I mean, there there's a significant European contingent. There's a significant South African contingent. I, I don't think anyone's really asked the uh, international team President's Cup implications in this whole thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that we've do- gone down that road yet, but certainly the the Sunshine Tour has been decimated. President's Cup, President's Cup, owned and operated by the PGA Tour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, is Makes right. <laughs> Sean, there's going to be more on that to come. We're probably going to talk about this on on uh, Sunday night at the conclusion of the Memorial as well. Um, 
So let's let's turn to a happier subject because we just had the chance to speak with Rachel Heck. Had a fantastic time with her. Sean, you you are ready to go be a college golfer. I, you still have eligibility. That's so true. I should, you know what? While I'm here, I should enlist at the University of St. Andrews. But seriously, talking to Rachel is so fun because she's got so much energy. There's so much, there's so, I mean, like she's, she's young. So there's a ton of youthfulness to her, right? You feel like <laughs> she feels cheery at all times. And I find that hard to believe, but she turned it on and was exactly that way, both on and off camera when we were recording and weren't recording. She was a lot of fun to talk to. Definitely made you jealous. That was fun. Yeah, well, both of us, I think. College, Sean. Land of opportunity. <laughs> Here's Rachel Heck. <laughs> Rachel Heck joins us now. She is a Stanford golf. Wait, I guess your sophomore year is finished. You're a junior now. Are you a rising junior? How does this work? I haven't actually even finished sophomore year. I've got a paper tonight and some final things to do. So technically oh, no. still sophomore at the moment. I know. I haven't even started. It's two at midnight. <laughs> what are you doing talking to golf podcasters if you got a paper to do? Procrastinating. <laughs> John, what well, did you do when you were procrastinating a paper at UW? I would clean my apartment. I would just, oh. the, you know, the paper would be in the corner of the room at the computer, just waiting to be done. And I'd be like in its proximity for an hour, just cleaning things, making sure everything around me is straight and buttoned up so I can actually dive into it. At least it was something beneficial. Hopefully this is too. <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. I meant. <laughs> Off to a great start. Rachel, you got a, a nice little trophy there uh, right behind you, the uh, you. National Championship trophy. You are two for two now. You won the individual title as a freshman, team title as a sophomore. I feel like you're going to have to win another title next year to live up to it, right? <laughs> Hopefully, we'll, yeah, we'll repeat next year with the team title. Yeah, seriously though, Rachel, like how, how do you think about all the success that you've had so far and how does that affect your future goals now that you've accomplished what I imagine were your big goals coming into school? Yeah, I mean, plan-wise, you know, nothing's really changed. I still plan to stay all four years. They're going to have to kick me out when it's over. I love it so much. Um, you know, nothing's really changed in that respect. I always talk to my parents, um, and they kind of say that. They're like, nothing that happens now, you know, no success, no failure should change your life plan like on the contrary just try to you know collect these memories collect these moments you know you know like last year we were talking about going into this year's NCAAs individually and they're like no one can take that from you you know you did that so that shouldn't add any more pressure any more expectations on this year like you did that you got the trophy to prove it like that's yours forever so that's done you collected that memory and now we see what happens after that I want to know, like, can you put us in the moment when you guys are facing off against Oregon? They've kind of become your rival this year. I mean, they were in many ways just as good as you guys throughout the season. Um, but like down the stretch, there's like only a couple holes left. All these matches are happening. How are you balancing, focusing on your match while also kind of wanting to know how the rest of your teammates are doing? Because you have to kind of all win, you know, like how do you balance all that? Yeah. So I 
definitely like to know where my teammates are at and which is kind of different for me uh, as compared to individual play because I never look at the leaderboard as an individual last year coming down the stretch I had no idea where I was at I was hoping I was winning didn't know if I was or if by how many but when it comes to the team I find it really motivating either way to know like oh my team is up they've got my back or like everyone's kind of down but everyone's fighting let's make something happen and we don't necessarily communicate with each other about that. Uh, our coach always tells us that your teammates should never know if you're winning or losing. You should just be positive. You're cheering them on. You're waving back. You're yelling. So we just try to create a lot of good energy, a lot of positive vibes in the team. But I'll always ask my coaches, like, hey, so, by the way, like, how are the other matches going? Like, I just like to know. And going down the stretch, I knew that my teammates were at my match. was pretty tight. Things weren't quite going my way. But you know, I just had, it was super positive knowing that my teammates had my back and they were winning their matches. And I just have so much trust in them. Like I knew they were going to finish it off, which is such a, a cool feeling that you don't get on your own. If you're playing an individual event and you're not playing well, then that's it. You're not playing well. That, you know, that sucks. But, you know, I've got these, these girls, some of my best friends who've got my back on the course in the national championship. All right. So Rachel, what's your, uh, what's your on-course persona when first when things are going really well, what are you like? And then when things are not going well, what are you like on the course? Regardless, I, like going well or not going well, I'm super talkative. I get psych. I have such a short attention span. I like to talk. I hit a shot. That's enough focusing for the next five minutes. So I'm going to go like talk to whoever <laughs> I'm playing with. Um, so that's how I am regardless. And I think it's funny because I, I do smile a lot on the course and sometimes, you know, when things aren't going well or, you know, when it's kind of a more serious situation, I do, like I'm still a competitor. I do get serious. I do get, you know, a putt doesn't go in. I'm not like, Oh, haha, that was so funny. Like I'm still like a competitor. And some people are like, Oh wow. Like you're really like serious out there. Like when I play, when I'm hitting my shot, like, of course I'm serious. You want to be at this level if you weren't a competitor, if you don't want to win, but you know, once the shot's over and we're going to the next one, then I'm, you know, giggly and talkative and all that. When was the last time you were really mad on the golf course? See, I get mad too. I was getting mad. I don't know. Some of my matches, like I missed a couple of short putts and then I was mad about that because that's just annoying. Like, you know, no one likes to do that. Yeah, that's very fair. Sean, what happens when you miss short putts? I occasionally throw my putter in the air and I berate myself with bad words. <laughs> You can't really do that in college golf. You guys, do you guys have rules about uh, temper tantrums, Rachel? Oh my gosh, yes. Our coach, I mean, she would never get mad at us about playing bad. You know, of course, we'll, we talk about what to fix next time. But that is one thing, like, there's zero tolerance for. She said, she always tells us, like, you are wearing the Stanford logo on your chest, on your bag. You are not going to act like a spoiled brat when you're doing that. Like, you are at you know, the, one of the best schools in the world, playing on the golf team. Life is great. So no spoiled brat temper tantrums around here. Okay. So that kind of leads well, actually, into uh, my next question, which is about playing on camera and on television and whether you get used to that and or how that changes things when, when you know there's more scrutiny and more eyeballs on you. Yeah, I think you kind of get used to it. You learn how to kind of tune it out while you're there, um, it's easy to hit a bad shot and then start thinking like, oh my God, like I think my grandma saw that. Like that's embarrassing. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like you just gotta, you know, tune it out. Like people are gonna say what they wanna say, but it's so not helpful for, 
helpful for you to stand over a shot and think about the camera that's right behind you. You just have to hone in and be focused on your match. And it's definitely something, yeah, it's not too bad. It's kind of fun. It's exciting, you know, to know that your family's back home watching. But in the moment, you just got to just be focused. One of the, I guess, main ways people have seen you play golf is through the No Laying Up documentary that they spent a week in the life with you guys. Uh, DJ and Randy and them are, are pals of ours. They made it look really fun. You made it look really fun to be a college golfer and made me jealous. Honestly, I kind of wish I was a college golfer. Dylan was a college golfer, but is it as fun as you make it look, Rachel? Yeah, that's like the feedback I've heard from it is how how fun it looks. And I'm so glad they captured that. Cause I mean, they just caught us doing what we do every day. That's, you know, exactly what it's like. And I would tell you if it wasn't like, it really is so fun. We're genuinely best friends. And I mean, they don't, you know, they captured while we're at practice, but they didn't capture a lot of it. I mean, at night we'll all go out to dinner. We all get coffee, do homework together. We all hang out on the weekends. Like, you know, once they, once they turned the cameras off, we were going somewhere all together. Like, like they're my best friends and the play on the team with them is so special. I imagine a lot of programs are like that. I imagine a lot of programs are as fun, but I can't imagine anything is as special as what we have. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. I think that we had fun. We were just not nearly as good at golf. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's the most incredible thing about college golf. We would finish class walk to the course, play nine, a lot of the time, 18 holes, practice, go eat dinner, whatever, go to the library or, or do something more fun. But it, it's kind of incredible because obviously golf, you have to be in, uh, I mean, you have to be in really good shape, but it's not like, you know, being in the cross country running team or something where you have to commit to a full lifestyle, like all the time grinding on fitness, everything. I mean, maybe it feels more that way now, um, but I think that college golf may be the best sport. Rachel, do you ever get jealous of anyone that plays any other sports at Stanford? Cause it is a cool sports school and you think, man, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I would obviously never actually trade it for the world being on the golf team, but it's no. so cool. We go to a ton of different, you know, events. We have, we're all big women's basketball fans. We love the women's basketball team. So we watch all of their games and we're like man it would be cool to be a part of this and then we go to the tennis NCAAs we're like wow what if you play tennis but I think that's just more of a testament to how awesome those teams are and how much you know I'm sure the other teams if no laying up you know if they filmed the documentary it would have been just like our team Stanford just creates such a special environment such a close-knit supportive environment so anyone you watch like man like it'd be cool to be part of that and then you step back and realize that you are a part of that in your own respect (laughs) I've got some questions about name, image, and likeness. Five Uh, years ago, I'm not even sure if you knew what NIL was. I don't even think I did. But I'm I'm thinking, like, has anyone done in golf, has anyone in golf done NIL better than Rachel Heck has? (laughs) I don't know. Rose has done pretty well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, we've been lucky enough to just have the support system around us who from day one said we're going to do this the right way and we're not going to just go crazy and sign some random deals to make a little bit of money like we're going to do this the right way we're going to sit down and we're going to build partnerships with people we trust and whose values align with ours so I think you know we were like you have the guidance there on that what does the right way mean when you say we, we wanted to do it the right way yeah for me uh, I'm sure a lot of people you know 
have their own perspectives on it. But for me, that was taking the time first to find an agent who I really trusted and not just because I mean, what are my parents and I are going to go look over a contract? Like, I don't realize how much went into it, but I mean, there are pages and pages on those things. Like, I don't know what they mean. But to find an agent who wants the best for me, um, I remember the summer I sat down with Mark Steinberg and Kevin Hopkins with Excel, who I ultimately signed with. And they talked about their perspective on NAL and it really lined up with mine. They said, you're going to focus on being a student athlete first because that's what your life is right now. And your life isn't going to change. You know, we're not going to make any crazy changes to your lifestyle, but we're going to help you, you know, monetize your golf game. We're going to help you with these opportunities and we're going to find some really cool partnerships that are going to be beneficial in the future, not just some random money here and there, but we're going to find things that we believe in and we're going to help build your resume from there. And they've been awesome about just handling the business side of it, coming to me with an opportunity. I can say yes, say no, no worries either way, but you know, they're, they're looking for the opportunities. Their, their legal team is helping with the contracts. They're doing all the negotiations and I just get to have the fun parts of it. <laughs> Man, there's maybe no one doing it better than you, Rachel, but you should be honored that you're on the call with the person that maybe did NIL golf the worst the in worst. college. <laughs> I, uh, oh, actually, it's right there. There's I wrote a book when I was in college, and um, the NCAA pointed out that that was a violation of my name, image, likeness policy. So the week of NCAAs, what? I got kicked out of the NCAA for writing a book. I pointed out it was the least athletic thing you could actually do in the world, but I uh, <laughs> got reinstated the day before and shot. I've mostly blacked it out of my memory, but I think it was 91. So <laughs> Oh my gosh, I didn't hear about this. That's horrible. All right, it's been long enough now that it's just <laughs> yeah, kind of a You might have been in middle school. <laughs> Is there yeah, a exactly. sequel yet? Oh, that's a really good question. Just every day on golf.com, just little by little, we're just churning out the sequel. Uh, that wasn't even a question. That was just kind of cathartic for me. Uh, I, yeah, I had a question. Dylan, are you jealous of Rachel's NIL offerings? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, clearly. Although I think that, you know, there would be a uh, there would be a fun small market way to to do some of the like. Papa Charlie's was the deli on, on Spring Street where we went to college. I think that that would have been a fun one. But I would have to say that, uh, you know, if someone like Nike was interested, I would probably I would probably favor that instead. <laughs> how involved Rachel, were you, Rachel, in, yeah. Yeah, in, in each step of, of determining, like, who were going to be your potential sponsors? It wasn't necessarily involved. I mean, like when it came to clothing, for example, Kevin would say, hey, make a list of, you know, your top 10 clothing brands. And, you know, if you have a specific one that you like really want, let me know. <laughs> and so I made a list, but I was like, I really want Nike, like really bad. I love Nike. So he was like, great, we'll make it happen. Um, and he comes back with, you know, just an awesome deal for me. Jeez. And, so you know, things like he, I trust his judgment on a lot of things. He'll bring most things to me, um, you know, a deal that maybe he doesn't, quite see if it would work or not and then you know I'll say yes or no there have been a lot of things where I'm like ah oh, like this isn't quite line up with what I'm trying to do and he's like okay great like didn't think so but you know you're the boss it's up to you but I mean he most people like six star we were both so pumped about that just because of their vision and what they're doing for 
female aesthetics and the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So things like that, like we both just get behind so much because their vision aligns with my vision. They're so genuinely committed to growing all female sports. So things like that is when you have an opportunity like that, we really jump on it and get excited about it. Do you feel like you have some some say in the matter? Like the 50th anniversary thing, if, if that didn't exist, could you pressure brands that are interested in Rachel Heck into doing things, into taking action? You know, I think I'm in the fortunate situation where I haven't had to do that. But I think maybe not just me and this individual, but the female athletes I know, like, you know, Rose, a lot of the basketball girls, the rest of the golf team, like, I think it would be easy enough to bring all that talent um, together to start, you know, make something happen. But like I said, we've been fortunate enough that so many companies are excited about this on their own now. You know, they, I think maybe the generations before me had to do a little bit of the pressuring and now we're here to, you know, keep it, the ball rolling. Rachel, have you had much contact with, uh, you know, other high profile Nike related Stanford alums in the golf world, people like Michelle Wee, Tiger Woods, other famous but not as famous Stanford golfers. Does that line kind of run through the generations? Yeah, I talked to Michelle a good bit. She's awesome. She's so supportive of the program. I got to play with her a couple of years ago, um, but she's super supportive. She texted me and was like, Nike fam, let's go. And I mean, growing up, I obviously ever knew Michelle Wee was Nike. So if you ever told me, like, Michelle, we would text me that like, you know, about being a part of the <laughs> Nike fam. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like things like that. I got to take a step back. It's like, man, like, is this real life? Like what's, what's happening right now? <laughs> All right. So I read online that your major is undeclared and I just want to know, is that still the case? No, I'm uh, political science. I was going to say, can we could probably help. We could kind of workshop some ideas here. <laughs> oh yeah. Talk Get it out. Journalism. Who knows? Sean, what's uh, your major? My my major was journalism, but I also I double majored Dylan. I don't know if you knew that. Ooh. Oh wow. Yeah, it's not a big Wait, deal. Wait, what was your second uh, major? <laughs> radio, TV, and film, you know, talking into a box like this. Here we are. <laughs> wow. That? Uh I was curious though, what was your favorite class that you took this past year? Ooh. I just I'm finishing a class, it's actually my papers on right now, about Russia, a political like international relations class on Russia. And that's one of the timely. most interesting, just because it's yeah, exactly. Very timely, so relevant right now and about what's going on in Ukraine. And I mean that's why I love political science as a whole, because it's so relevant to what's going on right now. I really enjoy, you know, researching things, looking at like following current events. Like it's it's just so pertinent and I, I enjoy it. I mean, the Stanford does not have people out there writing papers and doing homework <laughs> for the, the women's golf team. <laughs> they uh, don't, no. <laughs> All right, good. Let's set the record straight for any doubt. <laughs> uh, so what's the paper that you have to write tonight? It's an op-ed on any topic of my choosing, but I'm writing about the foreign agents law in Russia. Exciting. Wow. Deep. I have nothing to offer on the subject. <laughs> oh, I, and I was hoping this, I'd get a little something out of this podcast in relation <laughs> to the paper. Well, I've got a couple more questions for you. And um, mostly it re they revolve around Rose, which is, is weird. Uh, but No, it's not. I love talking about Rose. You win the individual title as a freshman, right? And then this Rose Zhang girl commits to Stanford. She shows up on your turf. And 
What is clear to me is that you obviously embrace her and it doesn't feel like there's a rivalry at all. But was any part of you like, I'm not letting this girl come in here and show me up? Honestly, no. I've known Rose. I think we were 12 and 13 when we met. And after the season I had last year, I was super excited for Rose to come in. And honestly, at that point, like, I'm a pretty simple person. Like, I was a little bit tired of, you know, all the media, everything. I was like, okay, it's Rose's turn. Like, you can have all the spotlight for the moment. Like, I just want to relax and be a college student athlete. I mean, it's a lot, but I mean, we make each other better every day. We're so close. And I mean, people don't see a lot of the behind the scenes of it. I mean, we do Bible studies together. We're really tight. Like, we room together at nationals. And I mean, very little of what we talk about is actually golf related. We're just really good friends. And seeing her walk down the fairway with coach about to win nationals. I was, I mean, I was crying. Like it was just so special. She has such a special place in my heart. I love her so much. You guys have a level of healthy competitiveness, like day to day. Does that extend off the golf course? You guys, yeah. you know, she just signed with Adidas. Well, yeah, Adidas exactly. Nike. Yeah. First I know. Adidas now we do, there. I guess. Checks over stripes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're both super competitive people because I don't think you'd be at this point if you weren't competitive. You have to be. So, exactly. I mean, at practice, we always have contests. We're good on the course. I'm like, okay, bros, me and you right now. Like, get over here. Like, so, I mean, there's definitely, like, a healthy competitiveness to it. But, I mean, nothing that extends beyond the service level. What do you do better than her and what does she do better than you? Mm. I can answer the second part. well first of all she is so steady like she doesn't get rattled by anything on the course her mental game is so good and I mean I definitely find myself getting frustrated or you know letting a bad hole get to me and it's something I've improved a ton upon but there's always room for improvement there I don't know I always make fun of Rose because occasionally I mean this is not to me like that's this inherent bad part of her game but I've seen her hit some like the worst drives of my life like she is like topped it off multiple tees like completely tops like dribbles off the tee so I always make fun of her about that so we're we're gonna go with driving we're just gonna say I'm just all around better at that okay (laughs) that's my final answer it's very fair (laughs) all right my last question would be you and her are like I guess two of the top three amateur golfers in the world. You've both been up near the top for a long time now, and neither of you plan to leave college. She just said today, I'm going to stay around for at least my sophomore year. You said you said that they have to kick you off campus. Um, yeah. That's rare, and I'm sure you've been told that. But usually when, when college golfers are number one or number three in, in the world ranking, they turn pro pretty quickly. Like why, why don't you feel the pressure to turn pro? For me personally, I think it might be a little bit different story for Rose. But for me, I I never planned on leaving early, you know, throughout high school. That was never just part of my plan as a person. I really value my education. So I wanted my degree. And I think originally that was the the reason I wanted to stay. But now it's the people really keeping me there. Of course, I still value my education, but I can't imagine not being on the team. I have the rest of my life to go travel by myself week after week on the LPGA. Like I'm going to take advantage of having four years to spend with my best friends and, you know, life, you know, is so much time. Like I don't 
know why a lot of people are in such a hurry to get out there. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'll play golf for a little bit. Maybe I'll keep playing golf. Maybe I'll, you know, do something else. Like there's just so much time. So I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities that I have when I have them. Maybe you'll become a podcaster. I, was May- just I mean, that's the, the ultimate thing, goal. Still. Yeah. With you guys, that's the goal. <laughs> oh man. There's always a spot open. My last question uh, is just, is there one thing that is your favorite part of playing golf, playing college golf, whether it's, you know, early mornings at the course or, or late nights or practicing chipping, or is there any one thing that you love the most? The one thing I'd say, like the times where I'm like, man, like I'm just so happy right now is just the car rides with the team. I mean, I don't think there was anything better than driving out of nationals with the trophy, with the windows down, just like, singing our lungs out like i mean those are the moments that go so fast but you just want to last forever that's a great answer what song were you singing hmm. we, one of them we, on the way to the course and on the way after we sing my house by florida we're like this is our house <laughs> you know just silly stuff like that uh, i love it wow <laughs> rachel heck again making me want to be a college golfer successfully <laughs> And you made her want to be a podcaster, Sean. So I think exactly it's mutual. This was very beneficial for both of us. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. All right, Sean, we're back from the interview. Rachel was terrific. And now here you are. I can see your eyeballs getting a little heavy over there. What time is it at St. Andrews right now on Wednesday evening? It is 9 p.m. Wednesday evening, I believe. The National Scotland, uh, Scottish national team, football. Yikes. They're losing to your words. They're losing to Ukraine right now in a World Cup qualifier, which is, which is happy for the people of the Ukraine. I know. I was, I got shuttled today from the Edinburgh airport to St. Andrews, and, uh, my shuttle driver was extremely excited for this game, but he's like, we are the only, people in the world pulling for scotland right now and i was like yeah it's it's definitely true (laughs) yeah um so sean i know you're sleepy you probably have not really slept since you left yesterday for this journey but maybe that means you're properly vulnerable to tell us what the heck (laughs) is this personal journey to saint andrews all about I'm definitely vulnerable right now. I got two hours uh, of nap time and then like two hours of sleep on the red eye. Slap it all together. It's a weird type of four hours of sleep today. Uh, What is this journey? I am living in St. Andrews for the next 90 days. Uh, In the exact middle of that stay will be the open at St. Andrews, the old course, which is kind of the impetus for this all. You know, the open is at St. Andrews kind of once every five or six years. And I kind of saw it on the schedule at last November. And I was like, crap, I like that. I think that's the only event I want to go to in 2022. <laughs> and uh started thinking like, when the open goes to St. Andrews, it's, it's like, it's like golf Super Bowl. You know, we have the masters every year. So we kind of get to congregate. It's like it's World Cup, I think is maybe that's- what you're looking for. You know what? That's an even better example because the Masters is every year at Augusta and it's <laughs> at the same place and the Open bounces around. You know, you went to one in a completely different country a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone has been to St. Andrews, they know that it is a, a really tiny town. I walked from basically the southern tip of the town today 
dude, just about the northern tip of the town. It's not that far. And uh, throwing the entire golf industry into this town, which houses 17,000 people normally, is bananas. And they're going to do that in the middle of July. And I just kind of wanted to be here in the run up to it to see how this crazy town uh, prepares for it, to, to learn about this town, to see how it rips everything down and goes back to normal afterwards. I wanted to just basically dive into everything golf in St. Andrews in this special place from an outsider's perspective, but also to like embed so that I could tell outsiders what it actually is like. Like that's kind of been mm -hmm. the thing I've been trying to do just today. I, I walked around the 18th hole for about an hour and then walked up around the street, uh, the surrounding streets a little bit. And I was just talking to people and I kind of, I want to know what it's like as a local to see your town, uh, I don't know, maximize its potential. And also what is life like normally here? You know, like, it was pretty sleepy today, which is great. If you ever come to St. Andrews in the middle of a day on a Wednesday, it's not going to be a, a raucous place, but uh, in like a month and a half, it will be one of the craziest towns in the world. So that's a really long rambling response to your question, but I'm here to cover it all is what I'm saying. That's a good start. Uh, what's going on with your with your Chicago apartment, with your pet parakeet, with your car? What's what are you? How are you just leaving your life back in the United States? Oh, don't have a pet parakeet. Don't have a pet. Um, don't have car. So those were All really, right. really easy box check. Uh, I am blessed to have had uh, a cousin of a friend take my Chicago apartment for the summer. So got a subletter. Um, I've downgraded in size. The price is pretty much the same. That's something that is, uh, interesting about St. Andrews this year is because the open is here. The housing situation is insane. Places going for mm. 10, 12, 15 X the price. People just buying houses what? here for the open. People just saying, you know what? I can't find, you know, the type of, like, basically I was told that this, businessmen, some CEO from the States flew over here a month ago and was trying to figure out where he could house his family during the open. Wasn't able to really find a big enough house to kind of like rent for the week. So he just bought a house. <laughs> he bought a house that would house his family during the open so he could have access to the open. Um, we don't have that kind of money both uh, in the Zoc family or at golf.com. However, um, yeah, I I am all good on the Chicago front. I mean, it's the best time in the of the year to be in Chicago, so I left it. I think it's also the best time of the year to be in St. Andrews, so hopefully that pays off. It's the best time of the year to be in Seattle, too. It turns out this uh, latitude is kind of just does pretty well this this time of season. <laughs> um, what kind of what kind of I hate this word, but content, content. are you going to be providing the people? What what sort of uh, between the written word, the visuals, the podcasts, the audios. Yeah. Is there anything that you can tease out without putting too much pressure on yourself that you're hoping to <sighs> to kind of dip your toes into? That's the thing. It's like, don't commit. Don't overcommit. Never overcommit. Like you did last week on the podcast, right? When you told people on Sunday night that you'd have the Mito Pereira story out on Monday morning. 
Mm-hmm. I was talking it. to our Tuesday listeners. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Either way, <laughs> um, what can I commit to? I hope to write about life in St. Andrews, golf in St. Andrews, golf in Scotland, uh, et cetera, at least twice a week, hopefully even more. I hope to create at least monthly videos from this old town um, on like random stuff, you know, like I don't want to do the cliche stuff. Like I'm, I, I've talked to a number of, of Scottish people about this and they've given me a lot of good ideas, but like the, the example I keep coming back to, and I'll probably end up doing this cause I'm short on ideas to start is like, what is it like to go to, to old Tom Morris's grave? There's a graveyard here just mm. off the shore, re- right near the university. And it's like this pilgrimage for golfers to go pay their respects to one of the, you know, forefathers of golf. Uh, and they just go to his grave and you look at a grave <laughs> that has been there for... Yeah, you need a new twist on it. A long time. Yeah, exactly. Has, so, has anyone ever dug it up? Uh, <laughs> respectfully, I don't know if I'll go down Sorry, that Sorry, that was disrespectful <laughs> to the entire game of golf. But uh, I hope to dive into some surprising things that people don't like essentially tell our American audience, hey, this is what you're missing over there. Mm-hmm. This is this is what you haven't heard about St. Andrews. Um, on Sunday, I plan to go to the course and I will not get to see a single golf shot hit. I will just get to watch people walk around in the park and play mm-hmm. with their dogs. And I will... You'll be one of them. I will be... I will go to the course with dog treats in hand and hopefully make some friends that way uh and hopefully make a video about it i've got some really nice camera gear way better than i know what to do with Uh, so that's good and probably spend some time in the middle of the night watching people wait for their tea time uh, at the old course hopefully spend some time with the old course superintendent you know Mm -hmm. just like sit next to the pot bunker on 14 all day long and see people try to manage their way out of it. Weird, quirky, fun golf stuff here in St. Andrews. That's probably the best way to describe it. Well, I'm personally very excited for it. My hope is that you're going to use golf.com and, and the drop zone as as your diary along the way. And I think it's one of those cool things where suddenly your day-to-day life is going to be newsworthy. It's going to be, mm. for our purposes, interesting. You know, yeah, so the I hope rest it's of us are going to be able to live vicariously through. Yeah, I think it is interesting because, look, we're we're going to get an overload of golf media from folks like myself just parachuting in for the actual week of the Open Championship, and that'll be all well and good. But I think the appeal of Scotland, what's romantic about going to play golf in Scotland and and get embedded in the lifestyle there. I think that that's something that people don't know nearly as well. So yeah, I am excited for you to pull back the curtain there. Yeah, I uh, I'm nervous. Uh, I gotta be honest about that. I think I think this this trip is not gonna it's already not gonna be long enough. Like I can already feel mm. the the walls closing in on my number of days here, which is a weird thing to say on day number one. But like that might be the small apartment talking. The walls may <laughs> literally be closing in on you. You know, I don't want to spend too much time going down to Live Golf London when I have the old course, you know, a mile away. So we'll see mm-hmm. how I manage it all. Hopefully take a train trip across the country a couple different times. And uh, yeah, just bask in the glory a little bit. 
Yeah. And we may have you on in a slightly different format. Or we're now, what, nine hours apart from each other? Eight. Eight hours? Eight. Yeah. So, look, some weeks Sean may be on with some other pals, some Scottish pals. Some weeks maybe I'll be on with a couple of our other fine coworkers. But rest assured, we're we're going to bring you all the action from Scotland yeah. and from the U.S. And, and everywhere in between. Yeah, and if you if you don't get your Sean Zock fix on your weekly podcast, like – Probably says a little bit more. There will be about other you. platforms to find you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, stop it. All right. Well, people can definitely track your first adventures. Uh, probably Twitter is a good place to find you. Sean underscore Zock. That's Z A K. Yeah. Twitter. Um, we'll send something out about it tomorrow. Just, just letting the people know that if you've listened to this podcast, you heard before everyone else did. That's why exactly. you listen to the drop zone. And I guess it sounds like if if you are not if you are still looking for a few more concrete ideas, people should feel free to filter a few your way. I would love more ideas. There's no bad idea. None at all. All right. Sean's fading. You can feel it. Oh yeah. Um that's been a lot of podcasting for today. But look, we appreciate you guys now more than ever supporting us in an international podcast, uh bringing Drop Zone, bringing Radmore to scotland we'll see you on sunday night at the conclusion of the memorial uh sean whatever put a month's rent on on maya stark to finish top 10 at the u.s women's open this week i'm excited maya for the stark. action at pine needles hey gambling is extremely legal here in scotland have a pint for us we'll see you on sunday 